0: Hello and welcome to the Patriot Preacher Podcast. Once again, my name is Dan Fraley, and today I'm at the Tri-City School of Preaching with Brother Ethan Tate. Ethan, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me to be here, Dan. I am the uh, Dean of Media here at the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development where we're recording these, and uh, I'm also the preacher for the Rogersville Church of Christ in Rogersville, Tennessee.
0: Uh, as am I, I'm the preacher at the mouth of Joe's Creek Church of Christ, and uh, we'd love for you to come visit us. We'd love to see you. And so today, we're going to be talking about God's law. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the difference between the old law and the new law. We're going to be discussing uh, which law are we under today, which laws are we supposed to follow, and which laws have been done away with. And so uh, I want to let Ethan start us off here. Ethan, where are we at today? Where are we starting at?
1: So we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 7. Um, now, granted, this is kind of a, a weird place to, to begin with the law, uh, but it's interesting as you look throughout the Bible, there's always this uh, effect after man had fallen and he was thrown out of the garden that God had always given mankind some kind of laws or commands to follow in order to be obedient to him. It's interesting when you look at the phrase that Enoch walked with God from Genesis 5. Um, the idea of this walking with God, when you parallel that with Hebrews eleven five 5 and 6, is that Enoch had faith. And even the testimony that it would say in verse 5 that Enoch proclaimed was, without faith it is impossible to please God. Now, that's interesting because the law at Sinai had not been given yet. So, it's interesting to look at God had always given mankind commands. They had to follow these commands. And if they followed them with a willing heart, God would find favor with them. You look at Genesis 6, it would say, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the idea of grace, sometimes we associate it with, well, God does everything and I do nothing. Well, no, no, no. When you look throughout Genesis 6, it would say that Noah did everything according to the pattern that God had showed him. And that's interesting as well, and we'll talk about grace a little bit later on. But when we get to the New Testament, long after the law of Moses had been given in Exodus 20, and the children of Israel had already gone through wilderness wandering, then we have the promised land, then we have the United Kingdom, divided kingdom, captivity. They're brought back. They're looking for the Messiah. Christ comes. But it's interesting Christ comes in in Matthew 5, and he would say, uh, think, that, think not that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. No, no, no. I've not come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. That's an interesting statement there we'll talk about later. But as you go through the life of Christ, he's always proclaiming about this coming kingdom, and you can be a servant of this kingdom, and you can be abiding in this kingdom. How? Well, there's a set of laws. And in fact, when you look at Hebrews chapter 8, where we're going to begin, the Hebrew writer looks at both of these laws from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, and he uses a different word. He uses the word covenant, the first covenant being representative of the law of Moses and the second covenant being representative of the law of Christ. And when we say covenant, basically we mean a promise between two people. You look at Genesis 17, when Abraham had to pass through the split animals. That was the idea of a covenant being made between Abraham and God. And in that case, promise you a great name, great nation, and you'll have great land from this. So when you look at those terms in Hebrews 8, beginning in verse 7, The Hebrew writer would say, For if that first covenant, the first law, had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, you read a couple of verses prior in verse 5. It mentions Moses. Well, that's interesting. Who's the them with Moses? He's talking about the children of Israel. Finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. When did that happen? Well, we're looking at about Exodus 13, 14, 15, 16. Okay, so we're in that time. "...when I took them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." None of them shall teach any his neighbor and none of his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, for the least of them to the greatest of them. I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now here's the kicker after God says all these things. Verse 13 is the explanation of what he just said. In that he says a new covenant. He has made the first, the law given from Sinai, obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What we want to discuss is, why are there people today who say we need to honor the Ten Commandments? Why is, uh, some will even say, well, they used instrumental music in the Old Testament, uh, and we even see instrumental music in Revelation. We'll discuss that um, as well to figure out, is that a valid argument, Um And then they'll keep looking back at the old law and saying, we need to keep the Sabbath day. We need to give tithes. Well, all these ideas come from the Old Testament law. But are those things that we find under the new law? And the Bible has a different way of of discussing all of those things. But what we need to establish, if something is found within a law, does God hold us accountable to both laws today? Does he only hold us accountable to one law? What if we do try to keep the old law, and we're trying to keep the new law as well? Does the Bible say anything about that? And what we want to try to help people to understand through the course of this discussion is that no man can keep two laws. In fact, you look at Acts chapter 15. What was the whole dispute in Jerusalem about? Well, it was about Jewish Christians who were trying to take these Gentile Christians, and I refer to it that way because that's how the text explains it. They're saying to these Gentile Christians, oh, you need to be obedient to Christ, but you also need to be circumcised. You need to keep some of those uh, cleansing rituals of the old law. And they're trying to combine two laws. And what we want to figure out today is, is that really the case? Or uh, do the apostles really not know what they're talking about when they talk about the law? And it's, it's not as complex as we make it out to be. The number one culprit as to why this problem really exists today is, it's because of Bible illiteracy, and we want to help solve that problem.
0: Uh, thank you for that uh, introduction. Here's here's a couple of verses I want to throw at you here. Hebrews chapter 7, the previous chapter, 2, 8, where he talks about this idea of a new covenant, right? And we understand when we interpret the new covenant, we understand that it's not like the old covenant. I've heard this referred to as change theology, as if it's a bad thing, right? in fact, uh, you know, I've got several comments from people that says, well, you know, it's not really a different covenant, it's it's like a lay beside of the old covenant. But that's not what it says here. No. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12 says, "For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law." So the law changed, did it not? Absolutely. It changed. It's not a lay beside. It's not a continuation of the old law. It is a new law, hence the term new law. And, of course, it says here, it says, For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which tribe no man gave attendance to the altar, referring to the the priesthood of the Levitical priests and, of course, the priesthood of Christ that is now in existence. But the whole idea here, just to touch on what you said, is the change of the law and the necessity of the change of the law, right?
1: Absolutely. So
0: I think about this. Revel- uh, Revelation. Romans. Uh, you said Romans. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Sorry, uh, Romans. We've had a long day here, folks. But if you look at uh, Romans chapter 7, and I'm going to turn it back over to Ethan here in just a moment because there is so much that you want to talk about. We want to get to Second Corinthians. We want to get to Ephesians 2. But listen to what it says here concerning this law. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. He says, How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, this is a distinction between the law of Moses and God's moral law, right? There's a a little bit of a difference here. You alluded to this. You know, you go all the way back to what did Enoch refer to when he was keeping the law. Well, he was referring to God's moral law. That's right you go all the way back to genesis chapter 1 and 2 the murder uh when god placed adam and eve in the garden why did they have to leave they broke god's law something that uh, you know we don't hear them say you broke god's law but we know by implication that they did so we have here in romans chapter romans chapter 7 he says for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so as long as he lived. Now this is a, a direct idea from Genesis chapter 2. What was God's original plan for the marriage? He says here, So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law. So that, is, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to an ad- another man. So wherefore, my brethren, this is the idea that's being conveyed. Is that a truth? Yes. But he's, con- he's talking about the law. The two different laws is what this re- is in reference to, the old law and the new law. He says the Mosaic law and the law of Christ. This is what this is reference to. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Two completely different things. It is a complete an utter transition it is not a lay beside and you just kind of go into to the other no one is dead the other is alive which one are you going to be married to this is the question that you should be married to another even to him who is raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God is this a correct assumption Ethan or my
1: absolutely on no um, and exactly what what Paul is encouraging the Roman people um, you can't be bound to two masters, so to speak. God's not going to expect you to keep two different kind of laws. The sacrifices are different. The priesthood is different. The promises are different. And when you look at the, the differences throughout the book of Hebrews, the idea is that the first law was established on earthly promises. And it wasn't that God just, he, he didn't know what was going on, and he was short-sighted and like, oh, uh, yeah, I forgot, I'm sending Jesus. Um, No, that wasn't it at all. He had a greater promise in store. And in fact, whenever we get into Ephesians, that's exactly how Paul explains it. But till we get to that, just to further that point, when you think about some of the implications of what if I try to keep the Ten Commandments today or something under the old law... Well, can I do that and still be obedient to Christ? You just read that, no, we're not married uh, to the old law. We're married to the law of Christ. It's interesting in Galatians 2, which if, when you're doing a study on the law, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Hebrews, uh, some parts of 2 Corinthians are really, really good at explaining some of the mechanics behind the law um, and the way that it works in the transition going unto the law of Christ. Colossians does the same thing as well. And in Galatians chapter 2, it's interesting that Paul has this confrontation with Peter. Uh, They're there in Antioch, verse 11 of chapter 2, and Paul would say, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Why? For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. That's an Old Testament term. These are people who were trying to keep the law of Moses because that's what they had always done. It was part of the practice. But the rest of the Jews also, verse 13, notice his, his phrasing, also played the hypocrite with him. Why is he a hypocrite? He explains it. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as the Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, we're under a different law now. It's not about let's keep every single checkbox under the law of Moses. That law is gone. You look at Colossians uh, 2, Ephesians 2, and you'll find that same kind of idea. The law was nailed to the cross. The Old Testament law, and we'll look at a couple passages that uh, validate that. But Paul says they were hypocrites because they were turning back to the old law after they had already had this discussion in chapter 15, which some say this may have led up to Acts 15 or it may have occurred after Acts 15. Either way, these two passages are connected because Paul says, look, you're a hypocrite. The straightforwardness of the gospel is you're saved through faith, whatever that means, and we'll talk about that, through Christ. Christ has opened up this new passageway, and it's interesting. Jesus would say, I'm the only one who can lead people to the Father. I'm the entranceway. You look at Galatians 3, 26 and 27. I'm the entranceway into the kingdom, being baptized into me or being clothed with Christ. But this idea would say, since we're not justified by the Old Testament law, what are the implications if we presume that the Old Testament law is still in effect along with the New Testament law? Well, this is interesting. Spiritual adultery. Exactly. And Paul would say in verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. Why does he make this statement? Pay attention to verse 21 because this is critical. For if righteousness comes through the law, this is not about following commands. This is about, if I believe that I must follow either parts of or all of the Old Testament law, then what's that next statement? Then Christ died in vain. What? And it's interesting, when you look at chapter 3, Paul would say, "'Who's confounded you that you should turn from the truth?' Rather, he would say, Christ became a curse for us. Look at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law, trying to live under the Old Testament, are under the curse. What's the curse? Curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's that issue that we find from Hebrews 8. Finding fault in them. What was the fault? Go back to Hebrews 4. Why did some of them not enter into the promised land? Because they did not believe um, The idea here is that they started to realize we can't keep this law perfectly. And in fact, you look at Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This became a problem. Now, the rest of Romans 3 is interesting because it would say we can be justified through Christ, who did keep the law perfectly. But it's interesting as well. He says, no man is justified by the law, verse 11, back in Galatians three. But it says also in verse 12, the law is not of faith. Not in the sense that, well, I just believe God will save me. But rather it would say, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. It's not about keeping all the commandments of the old law. We're under something different. Rather, we're under this new covenant. And interesting, it says, "...but I speak after the manner of man, though it be but a man's covenant." If it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. If God just made this promise to Abraham and said, uh, well, I just want you to keep this to keep some kind of law. No, that's not the point. And he even says, what's the purpose of the law? Verse 19, it was added because of transgression. Sin is transgression of God's law. So what's the purpose of the old law? To bring man back to God. But there was a problem. The blood of bulls and goats could not fully atone for the sins of people. That's what we read from Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10. But it would say, Till the seed that was promised to Abraham, the idea that through your seed you will be a chosen people. Um, It was ordained or appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator, and the law was not against the promises of God, but rather the scriptures were fulfilled by the promise of faith, verse 22, in Jesus Christ. Now, these are a lot, a lot of verses But notice verse 23, and then I'll pass it over to you, Dan. It would say, Before faith came, before the law of Christ was initiated, we were kept under guard by the law. We were protected. Why? Kept for the faith which would afterward... After what? After all that Israel went through was fulfilled. Afterward be revealed. For the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. What does that mean? It means we are no longer under this law that Moses had originally revealed by God to Israel, no longer under the old law. And if we are, Christ died for no reason, and our faith is in vain. Therefore, we are under a different law.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me, you said a lot of things I was going through. Acts 15. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, Acts 15. Verse 10, when, when uh, Peter's proposing the question, why are we going to put on them a yoke that our fathers were not able to bear? Acts 15, verse 24, and, you, and I encourage everyone to go read Acts chapter 15 up to about Acts chapter 16, verse 4, where it says, and the decrees went forth and the churches were established. Well, what decrees? Well, you read uh, the whole reason why we have the letters in the New Testament was to keep people... From trying to put that yoke of bondage, trying to put that old law back on. This is significant because God doesn't want us to be in spiritual adultery. Absolutely. Right? And so God sent forth his son. Now, if you study the Old Testament, uh, you know, and I'm going to wrap this up, but it says here, it says, uh, if you study the Old Testament, it is, it is pointing. It's like an arrow pointing to something that is much greater than the Old Testament law. He starts it out in Genesis chapter 3 after mankind has sinned. What is he going to do? Now, the plan was before the foundation of the world. That's Ephesians right. tells us that, right? So the plan was to bring people to Christ before the foundation of the world. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 is really the fulfillment of that. So what the Old Testament is doing, it is pointing, it is bringing us closer and closer in it starts out very what's the word very abstract. When you go to Genesis chapter 3, you see the the uh the the crushing of the the heel the, the with the serpent with the interaction of the woman because of sin. It starts out very abstract. And then as the the Old Testament goes on, it is bringing us in closer to Christ until finally, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, the angel just tells Mary, you're going to have a son, He's going to save his people." In fact, Matthew chapter 1 verse 24 verse 21 says, "And he shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is what we're talking about, the new covenant that God had planned before the foundation of the world that was literally going to move the move away, separate. You know, we sing songs. It's written in the Psalms how he's going to separate the sins as far as the east is from the west. This is what the old law and new law is. It's not a labesai. It is a doing away with one so we can have the other, so we can have forgiveness of sin. Would that be an accurate description, I think?
1: Absolutely, and where we cliffhang off this is, well, then what about God's grace and keeping the commands under this law of grace. And Lord willing, we'll discuss that on the next episode.
0: You're listening to the Patriot Preacher Podcast. My name is Dan Fraley, and I'm the preacher at the mouth of Joe's Creek Church of Christ, located at 5230 State Highway 194 West at Pipeville, Kentucky. You can reach me at 423-707-4178. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. God bless you, and thank you for listening.